Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Greetings and salutations, podcast listeners. How's it going? Welcome to episode 315 of Life in the Stocks. My name is Matt Stocks. This is my podcast. This is episode 315. And my guest for this week is actor, musician, raconteur, an absolute bloody legend as well. What a great guy. What a great guest. I'm joined Today, for episode 315 of Life in the Stocks by Alan Fletcher. You might know him better as Dr. Carl Kennedy from Neighbours, uh, but he is also a very successful musician and traveling and touring performer. Um, he's actually going to be coming over to the UK, is, is old Fletch, in July with a bunch of shows throughout summer. Um, loads happening in the Midlands where I am as well at the moment. I just came back to the Midlands last night after my little two week tour with Bowling for Soup, Leston Jake and the Vandaliers came to an end. We did nine shows in 10 days. Every show was sold out. Every show was amazing. Um, I've toured with Leston Jake four times now and Bowling for Soup twice. It was my first time actually watching the Vandaliers, despite the fact that they have also been on the flogging Molly Cruise in the past at the same time as me, um, I didn't catch them on the boat that year. I was probably far too busy drinking myself stupid, um, but I did get to watch them every night on this tour, and I recorded a podcast with their lead singer, Josh, and um, yeah, cannot recommend the band enough, so I want to say a big thank you to them and to Less Than Jake and Bowling for Soup for having me out on tour, but speaking of tours, circling back to our man, Alan Fletcher, you can see him throughout July in London in Leamington Spa, in Milton Keynes, in Worcester, in Leicester, in Hull, in Newcastle, Liverpool, Aberdeen, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Kendall Calling Festival, and more. And tickets for that tour are on sale now. Um, I recommend it. I highly recommend it. I love his music. And as you'll hear from this conversation, he's just a bloody nice bloke and a great storyteller and a very funny man as well. Um, you can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or X as it's now called, Facebook X and Instagram. I don't use X anymore, not that I ever did. But um, yeah, you will find Alan Fletcher on Instagram and um, you can find all the tour dates on there. Uh, so we do chat a little bit about Neighbours 
I've not seen Neighbours in years, though, years and years and years. So I'm definitely not a Neighbours expert. Um, if you're coming here for hardcore Neighbours chat, you might be a little bit disappointed. But it is a great conversation, a really fun and an interesting chat with, as I said, just a, a really nice man. And we talk all about music, all about television, a little bit about Neighbours and all about life, like we like to do right here on Life in the Stock. So if you're new to the show, please do give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform, and please give me a follow on all the aforementioned social media platforms. At Matt Stocks DJ is where you'll find me, and that way you can keep up to date with who's coming up on this show and future exciting tours, such as the one I just completed with Vandaliers, Less Than Jake, and Bowling for Soup. Um, and in a couple of days, I'll be heading out to Europe for one month to go all around uh, training European monster truck hosts how to do the show in their local languages. So yeah, got a fun month coming up, lots of travel, and uh, lots of great guests, lots of amazing episodes already recorded in the can and ready to go. I can tell you that next week I'll be joined by Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. How about that? So be sure to subscribe to the show if you're not already. And uh, without further ado, let's get into this. Episode 315 of Life in the Stocks with Alan Fletcher, a.k.a. Dr. Carl Kennedy. Here we go. When I was growing up, I fell in love with a girl. Not a supermodel or glamorous at all. The mum with the most from an Aussie telly soap. She's loving and wise, steadfast as well. She used to have long hair, but her new style is swell. She doesn't live next door, but she's my favourite neighbour. Cause I got a crush on Susie K. She wouldn't give me the time of day. The most beautiful girl on Australian TV. I got a crush on Susan Kennedy. Well, what a lovely way to spend the afternoon, I must say. Cheers to you. Yes, cheers to you, Matt. This is very nice. And what a great little locale. I feel like I'm in a kind of, you know, speakeasy somewhere in LA or something. It's got a real vibe. Shout out to the Sugar Glider Bar, which is where we are. Um, in a funny series of events, so I DJ'd here ah. about two weeks ago, got to know the guys, loved the bar, loved the staff. So when it came time, obviously, to chatting to you today, we were going to maybe do it at Dallas's yep. studio. She is deep in the throes of recording. She surely is. Yeah, can't debut. wait for that solo album. Oh, I, the five, did you get to see any of the residency sets? Yes, I saw one. I only saw one at the gym, but it was an... Uh, oh, She's the, she's the ultimate performer. I mm -hmm. mean, um, besides being a consummate musician, she the, she the fact she sells she sells the music to an audience, and she becomes part of the audience as well. And the audience become part of the gig, and that's that's really attractive. It's fantastic. She was trying out some foot pedals, and and uh, yeah, if something goes wrong, she builds that into what she's doing and makes it funny, and 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 just you know carries on. She's brilliant. Yeah, it's almost better if something does go wrong totally. because Dallas is so funny and so personable and so likable. And, and as you say, she does make it a part of the show. And the shows, I caught two, the final two, and they were more like, as you alluded to, their happenings mm. than gigs. Yeah, yeah. It she was like an event and a, a moment in time never to be repeated, like performance art almost. Mm. Yeah, um, it's, it's quite, I mean, obviously seeing her, over the years as well, she's always been the most dynamic, one of the most dynamic rock performers I've ever seen. 
and this new this new sort of you know approach, the solo approach. I cannot wait for this album because this will be this will be a Dallas I haven't necessarily heard, which I can't wait for. Well, I didn't realize quite how gospel and spiritual her music is, you know, because I'd seen the band several times, and that's quite grungy and and, mm. and you know hard rocking, but then in the solo context, I'm like, wow, she's like Janis Joplin. Like, she's got the voice, but then there's that rootsy, yeah. earthy gospel nature to what she's been coming up with. We actually did one of these together as well, yeah, and right. she very kindly recorded a couple of, like, in-session studio tracks ah. as part of the chat, so. Awesome, yeah. I think her single, uh, All My Love, which is, you know, was probably their, the Dallas Frasca's best-known tune, I think I just think it's one of the great great songs, and should it should have been number one any, anywhere in the world. Mm. Well, I want to throw this at you, and very quickly, we couldn't do Dallas's studio today because she's busy. So here we are at Sugar Glider. Thank you, well, and the team. Um, we met once very briefly. Mm. I'm not expecting you to remember it, but you'll remember this night. I'm sure it was in Oslo, uh, not the city, but the venue in Hackney. In Hackney, and we were yes. watching our mutual friends, the computers. The computers. Now I have been very close friends with those guys for about 10 maybe more years um before coming out to australia i was living in bristol and working at a pub called the golden lion which aiden the drummer now runs oh, yeah. he's one of my best friends in the world and i just think it's so wonderful and lovely obviously dallas put us in touch but the connection goes even further right. back to those guys and that for me is one of many examples in my life of just how small and closely knit the live music community really is well absolutely and you know how i met the com computer i don't i actually don't i remember you being at the show because al was doing his bit where yeah, he's yeah. in the middle of the crowd and he was like hey dr carl kennedy's here tonight yeah. and i was like what how random saw you said a quick hello i didn't actually ever ask them how that connection came about so please right reveal. well uh i went to see one of the great mus greatest musicians ever born elvis costello i see him every single time he comes to town i was in the front row at his concert courtesy of a friend giving manager organizing tickets went to submit him after after the show blah blah, blah. got him to sign this year's model and amazing uh, and um had a great chat and i posted about that so i get a message a dm from a guy called matt spracklin who says well if you like elvis costello check this out it was the computers doing allison on that EP that on they the, did, yeah. which was Elvis's. So I fell in love with that, made, maintained a connection, caught up with Matt. Now, Matt's one of my dearest friends in the world now. He is solidly um, uh, working in country music, as well as, of course, still maintaining the punk that he used to do down down uh, you know, in the southeast, and uh, the southwest, I should say. And so, obviously, I got to meet the computers, go see all their gigs. Their albums are sensational. Um, and, of course, uh, Al um, started up a, a second band called White, uh, White Trash. White Trash. And I was doing a photography show, travel photography show. We came up with an idea for one of the segments that I would write a song with Al in 24 hours and, and perform it. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. This is amazing. It was a huge fun. So what, what I did was I helped the boys out by helping them set up a a White Trash uh, album launch in London. And we finished off a song in 24 hours and, and filmed us singing it you know, in rehearsal. So, uh, yeah, strong connections there. I can't wait to see them again. I, I go back every year. and I see Matt all the time, of course. So, um, 
Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, the best guys, and Al is such a gifted songwriter, and he's in a very prolific stage at the moment of, of trying to get his solo career up and running. And well, he has one of the most extraordinarily high voices, mm. uh, and he, listening to him um, warm up is freakish. <laughs> you know, because he's hitting operating notes um, with full force. He's, he's quite extraordinary. They don't call him Screaming Al for nothing. That's, yeah. So, what for you comes first, music or acting and, and performing, or is it? All intertwined. It is intertwined. I mean, uh, yeah, acting is acting storytelling. That's really all it is. You just, you know, someone hands you a script and says, "Tell this story," and you find the best interpretation of it. And performing music is same same deal. You know, particularly if you're performing someone else's song then or reinterpreting it. Um, however, I'll say this: when you perform a script written by a neighbor's scriptwriter, it's their script. And you've got a director and, you know, it's all collaborative process. When you write your own song, it's your three and a half minute or three minute story. And yes, you work with your producers and maybe a co-writer to craft it. Uh, but ultimately you're telling your own story and there's nothing more exciting than that. And be able to tell people on stage why this song came about, where it came from. You're the writer, director and performer basically, when it comes to music, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, but basically. So, uh, and I, I think that's the great attraction for playing live music um it's arguable that when you're playing live music sometimes you are a character as well i mean i don't i think there's a lot of people have a an identifiable stage persona that might be slightly different from them you know off stage um other people well, Al's a great example well of exactly he's such a quiet Yes, you know, he's like an easygoing like a chameleon, guy. and suddenly he gets on a stage and he goes nuts. In fact, I remember at that particular gig, I think I, I might have body surfed. I think they got me out. <laughs> I think they did. Yeah. yeah. It was nuts. Um, yeah, so yeah, in terms of acting versus music, um, I wouldn't like to have to choose. I call myself an entertainer. Love uh, that. Well, that's the old school, I think, approach as well, isn't it? Is the all singing, all dancing, because performance and entertainment. It's it's the full package. If you go back in time and look at the great entertainers and performers, you know they kind of come through and learn each and every angle mm. because then the full package is what's you know. Yeah, I, I think also just taking on new challenges. Um, uh, when I formed um, my rock band Waiting Room, it was primarily to entertain the English backpackers who came to Australia, not English, British backpackers who came to Australia. Um, and they all came to Melbourne because we had a neighbours' night here. They they wanted to do the neighbours' bus tour, you know, so it was very cheesy. And on a Monday night, um, I formed a band with, uh, with two other Melbourne musicians, fantastic musicians, and we performed. And it was a residency that lasted, oh, I think it was about 12, 13 years, something like that. And would you be doing all covers, a mixture of covers and well, originals, we, all originals? It, the great be? thing about it, the great thing, wonderful thing about the journey is that when we, when we met... Um, and said, let's play together. That was in 2004, and we completed an Originals album and released it very early 2005. So it meant that in the gigs, we could play all the songs that kids love, Chelsea Dagger, um, there's a bit of Oasis, of course, you know, we, we had Foo Fighters, you name it. It was that kind of kind of gig, Razorlight. Yep. Oh, I, oh, I, I love uh, Fratelli's. I just love British indie music of that time, Kaiser Chiefs, you know, a bit of Queen as well, some medleys and things. The mid-2000s were the last time really when guitar music ruled the charts. Mm. Since then, it's shifted to 
pop and hip hop and, and, and country in America. But that period was, I think, the last time when guitar bands ruled the roost. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a, good, a good observation. It's... um. It was wonderful playing. Of course, we had a terrific lineup. We had a heavy-duty rock drummer, uh, brilliant lead guitarist, very, very strong um, acoustic guitarist. Me screaming my lungs out <laughs> at, at the front, you know. And um, we did, I think, ten tours of the UK uh, over eight years. And would you do universities and stuff over there yeah, as well? That was yeah. And we had a, we had a bit of a relationship with you. You know, the old walkabout bars. But, of course. But when they were a little bit more of a solid chain, but I think they were sold in the end. Uh, we 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 would literally be able to put together a tour just just playing walkabouts and um, the big ones you know the ones that take sort of nine hundred to twelve hundred people and uh, um, yeah it was it was fun it was joyous uh, we sold a lot of albums actually which was really interesting we, uh, the the first album we ever recorded made a profit if you can believe it <laughs> well I think because um, I grew I was born in nineteen eighty six right which was the year that Neighbours started airing mm. on, on on British TV at least and. It was just so part of our culture growing up. Mm. You know, you'd get home from school and it would be when's neighbors on. It would be you'd have your tea and then it would be neighbors and then the Simpsons. And for all of my generation's childhoods, that was like absolutely our rites of passing, mm. our, our pass, rites of passage, our coming of age yeah. was that show. And you've obviously been on it since 94. 94. Not joined in 94, but I did do three weeks in 87. So I had a sense of what was happening back then, although no real sense of where, how big it was in the UK. Right, because this um, is obviously pre-internet, so that... Yeah, well, exactly, and uh, I didn't pay... Uh, you know what, I, it wasn't until 1999 when I did my first panto. I went to Clondidno in, uh, in North Wales, and I was astounded. It was like Beatlemania, was it? Well, it was, it, was, it was nuts. It was nuts. Everyone went nuts, and I was going, well, what, what is going on here, you know? Um, perhaps, perhaps the biggest reception ever I've ever enjoyed has been in Sheffield, it has two universities, mm-hmm. two big campuses, and uh, and the North just likes to have a good time. That, well, that's the thing; they love a good time. Um, my fa- favorite memory—you're uh, going to be careful about me, by the way. I will waffle that. Please, we're on no con- time constraints, um, so uh, <laughs> they our, don't open till six. We got loads of time. Our very first gig that we did in Sheffield, our first tour we ever did, first gig was Sheffield, and we got off the plane, and we booked uh, a Sheffield. Um, you know, it's a rehearsal studio, just to, just to sharpen a few things before we went off to play. And we, we so we did our rehearsal. There was a really loud band next door. We said to the blokes on the way out, who's those guys in there? He says, oh, it's a local band, the Arctic Monkeys. I knew it. Um, yep. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, the gig didn't, they didn't sell tickets to the first gig. It was the only one not ticketed because the, the owner of the pub said, look, it's a 900 capacity. Yeah, we might, we'd be lucky if we get two or 300 in. Well, the coppers rang us up in the hotel about 2.30 in the afternoon and said, you've got to do something because there's 2,000 people turned up and they were around, they were queuing around the block and blocking the roads and it was dangerous. So they had to open the venue and I think he packed about 1,100 in there before sending everyone else away and we kind of had to start early. Amazing. <laughs> it was just so First gig fun. on UK soil. Yeah. It was just nuts. So, um, that, you know, that's when Neighbours was really at its height. Mm. A lot of people did say to me they came to see the band because they thought Dr. Carl Kennedy is rubbish at music. So they thought this is going to be a train wreck. This is going to be so funny. Like a comedy gig, you know. A novelty night out yeah, at novelty, your expense. Yeah, exactly. And but well, we had great. I had showed great, him so, otherwise. Well, I had a great musos to back me, and I think that that's where um, people sat up and noticed them. They went, 
this unit can play, you know, and um, and so that because they're in the repeat business. Every time we came back, they'd all come back again, which was just brilliant. Well, I I was watching a Rolling Stones interview once, and one of them, I can't remember which member, said one of the most poignant things about growing your audience as a live band. And they said when they started, maybe 20 people would come to see them. Mm. But all they had to do was put on the best show that that 20 people had seen, and then they'd all go and tell a friend, Mm. you've got to come see these guys, the Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. Next time, the audience doubles. And as long as you keep delivering, Mm. you would expect everybody who leaves having had such a good night is going to go and tell at least one person, you've got to come with me the next time. Yeah. And you just keep doing that and they keep coming back. And I've had a couple of actors on the show, Paddy Considine, a British actor, great British actor, Billy Bob Thornton as well. Both, both of them do music too. And they both talked about how there is a resistance to accept that somebody who's known for one creative thing dare step outside of that lane sure. and do anything different. Yeah. And, and they're amazed when they're actually good. But you've got to think, if you are a trained performer and entertainer, you're not going to go out and just make a complete tit of yourself with no preparation. Well, you yeah, know. hopefully not. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> um, the thing is, you, you know, you, you do have learning experiences, though. It's only time, you know, we, I threw myself in with Americana music and the country, this sort of country folk music. I threw myself in at the deep end, and there was I had one gig up at Tamworth a couple of years ago, which was a, which was a bit of a train wreck. Um, because the MD, the guy was kind of, I called him the glue, right? couldn't make it for the first set. And we, we were just disjointed and terrible. <laughs> um, so you're going to get that happen. Um, yeah, and you're going to learn. You, you you all start to find out which material works best in different circumstances. Um, I, I I write a, a kind of I would say almost fifty percent of the material I write is uh, comedic. Yeah, in some in some form. But country is, you know, I think country music yeah. is either extremely light hearted and whimsical and has kind of character sketches and uh, and funny storylines, or it's heartbreakingly sad and beautiful and you kind of have both i've been listening to a lot of your music today in the lead up to this chat and there are these you know there's the susan kennedy song which is hilarious yeah, and, <laughs> and then there's like there's a couple of tunes on that dispatches ep um sorry is the word yeah, is that one that's the first uh, duet i wrote which is, yeah lovely song and the one about the bombed out building yes that was written by a pal of mine who's a, a fantastic um performer in liverpool and um he yeah that, that's his song and I just said to him man can I can I can I cover it please because it's so poignant and I yeah, love Liverpool song. I'm a I'm a red uh, and um, I love going there the last gig I did in Liverpool we played at Jimmy's which is uh, on the corner of Bold Street and opposite the bombed out church so right. as yeah, I was yeah. singing the song I'm looking at the church it was beautiful wow uh, but yeah you're quite right I, mean, I love um, I love. Hey You is a song for mine that was about my mother. People seem to love that a lot. Yeah, love um, song as well. Things like that. And I would say, you know, there's probably a lot of the stuff I write is personal. Um, and uh, But, you know, there's plenty of songs where you make stuff up as well. You've got to do that. And uh, and the, the comedy stuff I really enjoy. I've got a beauty to be released um, in a couple of months called... Um, for the love of lager. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, it, well, you have to know your audience as well, right? And you know, with that Susan Kennedy song, you know a lot of people coming to see you are coming because of that Neighbours Connection. Yep. So why not give them a little bit of that fodder? Totally. Oh, totally. Um, we, we have another one, actually, which is on, on the EP that Love of Lager is on and Susie <laughs> K called Sleeping Alongside of Susan, which I did for years with Waiting Room. 
um, and I've revised it and added another verse and so forth. Um, it's it's actually using Smokey's uh, living next door to Alice. Right. Um, so you can you. You you can use your imagination, so can the audience, as to what happens when when I sit there and say Susan, and the <laughs> the audience <laughs> responds appropriately. Uh, and I, I see, I don't take myself too seriously. I got to say, Matt, and and I think that um, I think audiences enjoy that. They know that, like you know, as you say, kind of what we're talking about with Dallas. If something goes wrong, you can turn around to the audience and go, "Well, I stuffed that up, didn't I?" Yeah, right. You know, and they they'll have a laugh and say, "Let's see if I can do a bit better on this one." Yeah, I think they're always going to have your back in those moments. Mm. You'd have to be a real <laughs> shitbag to not. And I've seen artists really get vulnerable um, on stage when, you know, perhaps something in their life is distracting them from that moment on stage. And rather than trying to power through it because it's just too difficult for them, they just say, look, guys, I'm struggling here. Mm. And I think when you have those moments of honesty on stage, whether it's positive and lighthearted or a little bit more self-reflective and, and somber, they're just going to have your back. They're going to show up for you. Because yeah. that, for me, is what live performances are all about, is truth. Yep. Because any entertainer, let's say musician in this instance, can get up and just sing the songs as they sound on the record, say thank you, good night, cheers mm. for coming out. And it can be a good night out. Mm. But really, for me, the ones that stand out is when there's those honest human moments that you know are just coming from the heart. Yeah. They're unique to that moment in time. And you see that person really, you see their soul. They bet they bear it to you, and you go, totally. oh, "Wow, okay." They totally. gave a true piece of their essence to us tonight. And I think any band, any band you really truly adore and follow for all of your life is like is going to be like that. I mean, I, I immediately have to mention um, John Prine here. Yeah, um, I love him. He, now, John Prine is probably my biggest influence, and in a lot of the songs I've written have you know nuances of John Prine's work. Um, I'm, I'm nowhere near as good a songwriter as John Prine was. Um, but and his comedy material, you know, songs like "In Spite of Ourselves" and duets like that, um, hysterically funny, um, illegal smile, beautiful. Um, but then you get "Hello" in there, which was actually the very first John Prine song I ever heard because it was done, done in a stage show. And of course, it's about aging and about you know how the loneliness of old age. And um, I heard someone do it in cabaret. I thought, my God, this has to be one of the most beautiful and poignant songs. I wonder who wrote it. It turns out it's John Prine. I did have an opportunity to see John play uh, in, in actually in Victoria at a, at a, at a racetrack in the country. Uh, and uh, Where better to see someone like that? Oh, God. Well, particularly since he was an hour and a, a bit late uh, because of the flight. And so they had to chopper him in, which is incredible to see John Prine come in on a chopper in the dark, <laughs> land on a race course, run to the stage, pick up his acoustic car and say, well, I'm sorry about it. But I'm here now. Incredible. And off he goes, you know. But the truth in John's music is is palpable. I'm an angel from Montgomery. And, um, and the most poignant song, which I like to, sometimes doing gigs, the very last YouTube clip of John Prime singing was actually done in his home, and it's him singing um, I Remember Everything from the last album. And it's just so beautiful because he's, he's basically singing this. He, you know, he can remember every hotel room and every guitar that he, he's ever played and, um, and the swimming pools of butterflies that flew right through my net. I mean, you know, the, the, the lyricism is incredible. And, of course, then COVID got him, which no one expected because he, he'd survived two bouts, bouts of cancer. Um, I've also, we actually, my wife now sings a song in our set called Fishing With You by Cassie Blanton, which is divine. It's a, um, 
basically a, a singer uh, to to John in heaven. Love it. Um, using um, uh, one of John's uh, melodies, using the music from one of his songs. So, yeah, he was a huge influence on me. But the truth in his music, I, I return to that all the time. And, um, yeah, there's... Um, if 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 it's if it's not if it have it hasn't got the honesty my producers will tell me they'll sit there and say this is this is missing um, you're phoning it in here come on yeah. well it was more to do with like you fall into cliche which is what happens with a lot of song songwriting you you run to cliche which is why country music sometimes can appear a little comical because it relies so much on cliche uh, trucks dogs um, pretty girls climbing up into your truck yeah. um, throwing pretty girls out of your truck. You know, it, it's um, there's a lot of cliché. There's a very much specific Nashville sound as well, which can sound a little bit sometimes like people are formulaic. Formulaic. They're they're almost like everyone's everyone's interpreting each other. It takes you back to the the times in the the sixties when the big studios, the producers, would actually get wind of someone like the Four Tops recording a song, and if they got a chance to hear it, they would actually immediately go back and knock out a copy something that sounded almost exactly like it and press it and get it to radio before the other one was released. Things like that would happen. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, you know, Nashville sound is very sophisticated. The writing's very thing. It's very professional. Um, I, ha- I don't think I've, apart from sorry is the word, I don't know that I've actually written an intrinsically country song uh, as such. Um, but, but uh, see, a lot of people say that uh, um, uh, country music is, is um, this country music and Americana is kind of like a uh, an offshoot of country. I actually think the country is an offshoot of Americana. Yeah, um, right. Americana is blues, roots, you name it. It's, it's all these genres. Folk. Folk. Yeah. And that, that country music is kind of part of, yeah, a development of that. Yeah, right. Um, obviously, country music's been around since well back into the 1920s with the banjos and that type of sound. But uh, uh, I love country music. I listen to it all the time. Um well, you do it well as well. You know, there's there's real affinity. You can hear it in the way that you deliver the material. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned John Prine there as well, the guy who introduced me to John Prine. And I was thinking about him in, in the lead-up to this chat today, and he gets a lot of free airtime on this show at the moment. But there's a UK singer-songwriter called Beans on Toast. Okay. Have you heard of him? I don't think I have, no. So... I would take you if I was here. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be in Sydney. But he is playing at the Gasometer on the 20th. So if you're around, let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll get you oh, on the list for the show. But he is, because I was thinking you two should tour together in the UK or over here or both. But he has a very similar grounding in music to you, right. that it comes from english country and folk music but he's super influenced by the nashville stuff and he actually has a song called fuck you nashville (laughs) which is about him going there with these high expectations seeing it for this kind of cheesy carbon copy of what he thought it was slates it for two-thirds of the song but then at the end flips the narrative you know in that great way and actually goes you know what this is a pretty beautiful and all of that but he adores john prine and he gets a lot of his tricks i think from that john prine songbook Oh, well. I think you two would have a real affinity. Oh, well, I'll I, send I, him. I'll send you. Sorry, some of his stuff. Well, to check yes, out. And, and and you know, it, 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 even if you're in a position to, to intro us in some way, yeah, I, I will. If, if he's playing here on the January the twentieth, then I will be in uh, Dubbo in New South Wales on my right on. en route to Tamworth Country Music Festival. Oh, of course, that's going on. Yeah, yeah. two weeks of, of no. It's, it, oh well, it's, it kind of works out to be about 
11 days right. of country. Still a lot, though. It is. It's solid, and it's nuts because it's very hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they have they have stages all over the place, and, and so you, you get you know, performers in hats, dark clothing, in the boiling sun. Um, playing. I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, it's just it's just a fantastic time. Is it historic? Uh, has it been going for years? It has actually been going for a long, long time. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's 50 now. Um, and uh, the Golden Guitars is Australia's premier award ceremony for, for country music. Um, we're, uh, <coughs> excuse me, our, my producer and I are a little bit disappointed. We wrote a bush ballad right. called Jack about my grandfather. And we were very fond of it, and we entered it into the Bush Ballad category, and they came back and said, well, it doesn't qualify, uh, so you put it into Heritage Song. And um, for, the, for the life of us, we cannot work out you know, why it didn't qualify. The Bush Ballad section of, of the Country Music Association is very rigid about what is allowable. Evidently. So, yeah, uh, I was a bit just And they didn't obviously give you any reasons as to why they just no, said no. no. Just doesn't qualify. But are you happy with the song? That's what matters. Well, the thing I am, it's actually about my grand, my granddad. Um, and it, once again, it's that one of that half of, you know, let's make some shit up. Um, I knew a bit about my grandfather from my brother, but I only ever knew him as an old, an old fella who's sitting in the chair listening to the radio and going to the pub and, you know, not getting himself shicked and then coming home falling asleep. And so I did get a bit of deep uh, d- digging and I found out that he, he served in the First World War, but from his birth date, he would have had to be 15 years old. So that's my start point. Then I found out that he, after he came back from the war, he drifted a bit and got married to a woman who then had a child less than nine months later. So we were working on the assumption there was a bit of a shotgun wedding going and that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, we found out, I found out bits and bobs about him from other people. Uh, and kind of gave it a bit of an embellishment. So it was... Um, Already that's enough, though, of a character there, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And it's just enormous fun. So uh, uh, I'm very proud of it, actually. Uh, what started out, when I first brought Jack home to my wife, she listened to me and said, I don't really like that. It's all a bit sort of cheesy and simple. You know, I went, oh, okay. So eventually we recorded it and it came out in the album and she sat back and said, oh, no, I didn't realise. I'm in love with the song. You know, and What changed their mind? Was it the arrangement? I or? think it was the arrangement. Right. And I think, I think also it's the intensity. Once you actually hear it, instead of hearing a demo where you don't know where the song's going to go, when you actually hear the performance of the song and the passion of the song, that's when you go, oh, man, that's a great song. You know? Yeah, right. Um, it so, becomes the cinematic yeah, story. Yeah, what yeah. does your wife do? Well, that's the lovely thing about this. My wife is a journalist, right. newsreader, uh, very accomplished, very well known in Melbourne. Uh, just did nine years of breakfast radio as a journalist. But she's a very keen musician. She plays beautiful piano. She loves to sing. So I encouraged her to give up the news reading uh, and the 4 a.m. starts. And say, come on, this is silly. Let's you know, go out on tour. Let's go out on tour. Amazing. Let's, go, let's hit the road. So we do a lot what of a great position to yeah, be in. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. Magic, we do, really. We do a lot of songs together. Um, and you save a fortune because it means you, your keyboard player shares a room with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you actually want to share a room. And with you them. want to share, yeah, yeah as, as opposed to uh, someone. <laughs> this guy, fuck. Uh, he snores. <laughs> um, no, she's she's divine, and um, she's a very sweet voice. Um, 
you will hear her singing with me uh, a song called Somebody on my Spotify. If, um, if you're listening, it's from the Point album. Um, we, we love to do songs like In Spite of Ourselves. Um, and, I'm, and I'm always looking to write a duet with her. Um, think love she, it. And she's just recorded her very first song, which is basically nominally uh, entitled Get Me Back to Tamworth, which is a bit of an ode to Tamworth Country Music Festival. We've just recorded it, and she'll... Um, She'll debut it in Tamworth, which will be beautiful. In the next few days. Well, literally, yeah. yes. She'll be playing it at the press, um, uh, the press basement bar on the 23rd of January. Incredible. Yeah. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about neighbors for a bit because yeah. I know there will be people tuning in who want some neighbors. Gossip and juice. Um, I just, as I said, I grew up watching that show day in, day out, mm. and it was just, you know, it immediately takes me back to childhood. Um, it's the longest running TV series in Australian t- television history. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. It, it might have been overtaken by Home and Away. Had it, had you, it, you guys always going head to head, aren't well, you? Well, the thing is, if, <laughs> if, if, if yeah, Neighbours hadn't come back, yeah, right. then, would, then Home and Away would have taken the crown. But uh, Can't let them have they it. They can't catch us at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Obviously, your character as well is so beloved. So it's one thing to be in a beloved show, but to play such a beloved, historic, heritage character within that framework as well. What a great honor and what a privilege and what a pleasure. Um, When you first got the call 
you know, the, the show had been around a while. You said you'd had some dealings and experience with it. Did you know going in, like, this is a big deal, this is a game-changing role for me? No. Or was it just another job at that point? It was, at stage, it was another job. Um, I, I did a lot of theatre at the time, and then I, I did a fantastic series called Embassy, which is a very high-end uh, drama about an Australian embassy in a fictitious Asian country. Uh, wonderful, wonderful series, great writing. It was for Grundy Television, who made Neighbours, so they said, would you like to come and audition for Neighbours? And uh, when I got it, um, I, my, my beautiful wife, Jen, was pregnant with our first child. Uh, I thought, how brilliant. Oh, the whole year's work I will have, uh, just, you know, to have a bit of money when the child's born, we, we'll be able to buy a cot. You know, it'd be lovely. Um, one year became two, and I was working with Jackie Woodburn, who's one of my oldest friends, and we love each other, and we work together in exactly the same way. The three, the three kids in our family were just so utterly simpatico with our style of working, and they worked together as a team so brilliantly. And I thought, this is a bit of heaven here. But, uh, you know, we got, we, got, we got our two years. Then two became four. And that's when we sat back and we said, you know, a lot of families leave after about four years. This is kind of the, the, you know, the use-by date. But it just seemed as though the public took to the Kennedy family and we just kept getting renewed. So basically I've had, 20, what, 28 one-year contracts on Neighbours. And um, very, very, very And are happy. you happy with that? Would you rather it just keeps rolling organically like that than give me a 10-year? Oh, totally, 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 totally. It, it, I think it's really important to have that option to say at any time. Could okay, you get killed I, off? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you have to be honest with yourself too and go, is there anything left to explore with this character or is what I am exploring now a repetition of what I've done? I mean, people say, what's it like playing the same person for 28 years? But you, you don't. We all change. And as you get older, you know, uh, I mean, Carl Kennedy was a very, very, you know, stuck in the, in the stick in the mud sort of, you know, disciplinarian when he first started on the show. Very arrogant. Had a huge opinion of himself and his music, I have to say, uh, which no one shared. Um, the only thing that stayed around out of that is he still thinks he, he's a brilliant musician and no one here likes his music. Uh, but he's become a bit of a fuddy-duddy now, but, uh, you know, and he's... Um, He's got new challenges. They, uh, the daughter he had with Izzy Hoyland many, many years ago is now in her early 20s. So she can be there. And we've got a brilliant actress, Lucinda Armstrong Hall, playing Holly. So I've got, you know, new explorations to go for, the, the, you know, for, for a man who's in his 60s. So it's just joyous to play, joyous to be in. And I get a lot of time off to tour and do other things. So... It's a win-win all around, isn't it? It is. Win-win. And, and what's interesting, I think, about Australian culture is there's real pride in this country with its homegrown talent mm. that I don't think you have, you know, obviously people from Manchester kind of either love or hate Oasis. You know, there's these examples. Yeah. But just spending time in Melbourne these last couple of months, every time I mentioned, oh, I'm going to, because people would ask me, are you going to do any podcasts? I'd say, yeah, I've done one with Dallas. I did one with Tim as well, Tim McMillan. Oh, who yeah. I know you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. him and his partner, Rachel. And I said, oh, I'm doing one with Alan Fletcher. And they were all, you know, no matter the age, just so enthusiastic and stoked that you're going to be coming on the show. And I've learned in my time here how beloved and adored Neighbours still is mm. by people of all age groups. It's not just like people who have grown old with the show, but people who are young now are still like, you know, I'm a fan of this show. Yeah. I, what it, a unique it thing is, that is about Australian culture that they really celebrate 
homegrown talent, I think, and exports. Yes, yeah, I think. Thank, thank you for those observations because that's you know it's great to hear, of course. But you, know, you get you get a lot of feedback from fans about the show and why they like it, and I think the neighbours, right from the very start, almost managed to strike this balance between serious drama and a comedy, and. But also, it, it, it never chased an audience by saying, you know, we're going to get scandalous or absolutely outrageous. I mean, they, they would, it would dabble occasionally, but most of the time, it played stories that the audience would look at and, and relate to. Certainly, a section of the audience would always have something to relate to. Uh, and plus, we had older and younger as well. So in the UK, the demographic of the audiences are from you know, 99 mm. down to 14, 13, 12, younger even. Um, uh, the most reported thing to me from people who sort of say, oh, could, you do, could you do a birthday video for my mum or whatever? Mum and I watched Neighbours from when, when I was in her, her tummy. Mm. You know, um, I came out singing the theme song, <laughs> and but and it's a, it was a shared event in families that yeah, right. sit around having tea, five thirty, six, or whatever it was, um, and watching neighbours, and that's that. It's a unique thing for a show to be able to do that. Um, I think a lot of other soap operas, as such, uh, are heavily dramatic, like EastEnders or whatever, and you know that. Um, not everybody's going to relate to it. Or as you say, they get so wacky and off the wall that it becomes unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And so you're like, well, why are they going with this? Yeah, <laughs> well, so we're very fortunate. Of course, um, you know, as we know, it was with the BBC for many, many years and it shifted to Channel 5. There was a bit of resistance when it shifted because not everybody could get Channel 5. It wasn't a terrestrial station. And the audience fell off a bit. Five was a huge supporter of Neighbours, and we, you know, we're very grateful for that. Many, many years, but then they said to themselves, "We really want to make more uh, home, uh, you know, British shows." So we're, we're going to finally bite the bullet and say farewell to Neighbours. Well, the backlash was off the Richter. I mean, well, I was reading earlier. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is the whole reason Neighbours is back is because of the backlash when it was well, finally yeah. the petitions. <clears throat> Put you know, to bed. It's all right. <laughs> edit point. <laughs> I don't edit anything. This is all good. He's just sipping back on some 21-year single malt That's whiskey. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit too much water in there. <clears throat> yeah, no, the um, uh, Amazon, the head of Amazon in UK, she saw the backlash. She saw what was going on. She saw the numbers. There were five and a half million people collectively watched the last episode, right? So she said to the American Amazon, we really need to think about this show and picking it up. Now, it's a perfect for Amazon because they play it on an app, um, on your TV or your smartphone, tablet. It's free. Um, and it builds an audience for Amazon Freebie. You know, it gets them into a UK market. So it's worked really, really well for them. Is the entire back catalogue on there as well? Uh, the, yes, and some years are missing at the moment. I think that might be copyright issues or whatever, but uh, it, 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 the back, it's always getting added to. How many episodes have there been? Well, we, we, be we're, we're now currently shooting 9,100 and something. Yeah. That's incredible. It is. <laughs> That is incredible. Well, I can't wait for that 10,000 uh, oh, wow. episode party. I was at the 3,000 episode party. So uh, there's the 10,000, in fact, will probably coincide with the 40th year of the show. Incredible. So 
That yeah. is huge. That's like Kiss level. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So uh, we had a we of course we did do a show uh, touring the UK, the Neighbours Celebration Tour. Originally, it was going to be one show at the Palladium in March 2020. COVID struck. We couldn't do it. So eventually, when things opened up again, they said, "We'll do this tour again." Uh, so, and they said, well, "Well, let's just play more than one venue." So they ended up booking fifteen venues, uh, the biggest venues in the UK, all over the, all over the, the continent. And um, then neighbours got axed, so it became the neighbours farewell tour. Right. Then neighbours got came back, and it became the neighbours celebration tour. <laughs> um, at the same time, I was concurrently touring, and you were doing your Dr. Carl's. Yeah, yeah. the Dr. So Carl's was that show. kind of stories and songs? Yes, yeah. totally, and, and video clips, and oh wow, with my wife interviewing me as well. Incredible! Um, it was a very entertaining and fun show to do. But the neighbours celebration tour was like a rock concert, uh, three shows at the Palladium, um, at the, the biggest merch selling show you know that they'd ever had there. That sort of thing isn't kind of nuts, really, really nuts. And the meet and greet sessions, well, we'd see two hundred and fifty people. At a meet and greet session in the afternoon for four and a half, five hours, and then do the show. It was just extraordinary. But the love, you know, I mean, you're standing there with with your compatriots, and these people would walk in, uh, or, or, or you know, coming in wheelchairs or crutches or whatever. They had to get there. They had to be there and just rush up to you and hug you and say how much they appreciated the fact the show was back. And what a job to have, you know. An absolute gift, mm. an absolute gift. And when you really get out there, because it's one thing reading comments online, as we can now do, but when you get out there, as you know, as a performing musician as well, um, when you actually see the fans and mm. engage with them in person and hear stories about how what you're involved in, either musically or t in TV, comedy, whatever it is, how it's affected and inspired and shaped their lives, mm. that is the stuff of life. Uh, right there, and it's the sole reason why I think art is so important is because ultimately it binds us together as human beings. You know, there's a commonality we all share when we sit in darkened rooms and watch performances and share in the themes and the emotional, mm. you know, journey that we go on. Um, it's what makes it all, I think, so vital and so important yeah. and, and it, so special. And it changes also the, the music performance because um, in most venues you play, you can see the audience, and there are quite a large body of people now who have come to a lot of gigs or I saw on the Neighbours Celebration Tour, on the Dr. Carl show. Uh, I know their name. Uh, you know, I recognise them. I know their story. I know the ones who have, you know, suffering from an illness. I know the ones who have travelled all the way from Holland to see you. You know, that sort of stuff. So you can actually talk to them. And sing to them and dedicate songs to people and things like that. And it actually sort of basically bring people into things. So if you're playing to 60 people, it's a really small, intimate little gig. Suddenly this is almost like a house party. Yeah. Well, it's like what we were saying earlier with Dallas. It's like a happening. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, and it's not just people sitting in the dark listening to you play your music. Then you go home and they go home. Uh, and you hope they buy a CD, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you go on this journey together, don't you? Yeah, you yeah. do. And and they give they, they give you feedback, which helps you improve. Who have been some of the biggest stars that have come through Neighbours over the years? Obviously, Guy Pearce comes to mind. Yeah, Guy. What a, what a great guy he seems to be to have come back and got involved in the... Well, this is my favourite thing about the end of Neighbours, the fact that Guy came back, but not just to sort of like turn up and do... Uh, like scene a cameo or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, which understandably most people would be, you know, already only had time for. 
Um, no guy comes back and plays a very serious three-episode character-driven romance with Jane at the end of the series, which I found to be some of the most riveting scenes, to be frank. And um, it's beautiful. And, of course, as soon as the show comes back, the, the whole question mark becomes, well, what happened to Mike and Jane You know, in the interim? Now, a guy could have easily just said, oh, look, I'm sorry, guys, I'm done. No, it was I, a one-time yeah, deal. <laughs> I, I, did, I did my bit. But no, no, he, he threw himself back into it, and they shot some stuff in the UK, which has now gone to air. And, um, yeah, so I mean, he, 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 he's just a remarkable bloke. Um, but there's, there's a lot of performers who have been through Neighbours that we don't necessarily think about, too. I mean, one, one of my great mates from Neighbours, a wonderful actor, Ben Lawson, who's who's been, you know, in multiple uh, shows in the UK and, um, uh, you know, just doing gangbusters as a jobbing actor in Hollywood, working all the time uh, in big roles, in big series that sell all over the world. But not a lot of people would, would, would think about that. Um, uh, of course, you know, we had um, Felix, um, was who played Ben on Neighbours, has gone on to, now he's doing, the, what's it called, Ginny and... I can't think of the other name. But you know, he's doing a massive series in the US, having done a number of series prior to that. So, uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of actors out there, jobbing actors from Neighbours who are doing incredibly well around the world that aren't necessarily our headliners, you know. They aren't Kylie or, or Jason. We don't necessarily remember that they, they were on Neighbours. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful training ground. That's the special thing about Neighbours. It trains people in a way. Uh, well, actually, anecdotally, um, uh, the director of Barbie uh, said, the Greta Gerwig said that um, she was astounded by the fact that Margot Robbie uh, just knew everything about every department on the film. Like when she's working on it, she's she knows exactly what every department has to do, which is not all that common with a lot of actors. Apparently, apparently, a lot of actors, they turn up on set and everything's a mystery to them and they just get on with acting. Uh, Neighbours trains actors to be part of a machine, to understand how sound works, understand how the lighting works, uh, know when to instinctively when to move and where to go for cameras, uh, things like that, which speeds the process up and makes things so good. So people who come out of Neighbours are basically hyper-trained. Mm. Love that. And Margot Robbie is just such an exceptional actor and doing so, so, so well. Yeah. And just seems like a legend as well. Seems like a really down-to-earth, cool human being. Last time I saw her was at the races. She's a Queensland girl. She's, you know, very, very earthy. Um, She she squealed delight if she sees a friend, that sort of thing. She's she's just honest, straightforward person who happens to have gone into mega stardom and all hail to her. She's wonderful. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And when you're walking around Melbourne, are you getting recognised all the time? Uh, these <laughs> days, no. These days, uh, I get people looking at me twice and I go, um, I know you. But how do I know you? And I say, I don't know, do I owe you money? <laughs> and, you know, and, and eventually either I'll just say, yeah, well, I, I work on the telly. I, I do a show called Neighbours. And oh, God, yes, I watched that in the 90s, you know. I look a little bit different now. This won't shock the listener to know, but I have aged, Matt, a little bit. It does happen. It does happen. happen. I think that's the funny thing with um, entertainment of the screen variety, right, is if people kind of put you in this time capsule in their minds, and I was watching this show whatever the year was, they expect you to just stay in that 
yeah, state yeah. forever. So when they see someone they haven't maybe gazed eyes on in 20 years and they go, oh, my God, you've aged. It's like, yeah. well, so have you. So have you, dear. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, it's, um, uh, it takes people time to recognize me with my beard and everything like that. And of course, I went through a period when I lost all my hair to alopecia uh, and not, not just, you know, Head and face, but body, body, ever it was totalis. I have a good friend. Do you know the um, TV presenter and model from the UK, Gail Porter? I know of her. Yes, of yeah. course, I've seen her work. Yeah, so she's a dear friend, and she has it as well. And yeah, it's I mean, it, heartbreaking for you know someone who's known for modelling to yeah. go through it. But I imagine even for for a bloke, it's still really like a a hard and emotionally draining thing to experience. Not to mention physically as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't let it affected me emotionally at the time. Uh, it was, I found it better to flip the coin and just go, okay, this is another curveball. I'll, I'll just work with it. And so I just kept doing what I was doing. You know, I, I, I played the Bedford in London with no hair, you know, and, and that's that'll always be there for anyone to see. Um, but uh, when I heard that, yeah, that, that there were treatments that I should be pursuing, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go at this. And uh, it's been quite remarkable how much hair I managed to get back through. I mean, you wouldn't even know now. Well, uh, no, it's, it's, and it's pretty much returned everywhere. Good um, to know. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just very, very clever doctors and very, you know, wonderful use of uh, medications that aren't necessarily used for alopecia, but not baricitinib, which is a, a JAK inhibitor, for instance, is now approved for use with alopecia, but it's taken a long time for, for that approval to happen, things like that. Um, What's the healthcare like over here? Is it oh, good? it's exceptional. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we've, we've, we're blessed. We're primarily blessed because we have a, um, like the NHS, we have a system whereby you walk into a hospital, you can walk out without having to pay a cent. And I think that's crucial, absolutely yeah. crucial. Um, although medicine is becoming a lot more expensive here, there's very few doctors now will bulk bill, what they call bulk billing, where they just charge the minimum rate that the government will pay them. So, uh, you know, uh, healthcare is, is uh, it's troubled everywhere you go in the world. I mean, people, people love to moan about the NHS, I know that. Um, Imagine life without it, well, I always say. Know. I mean, I 10 years ago, I broke my back and I was in hospital for three months recovering. Wow. And I always say, like, if it wasn't for free healthcare, Mm. That experience, that time, that recovery period would have bankrupt my family completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, you know, even though it's not perfect, and these things never are because there's certain pressures on them, uh, it is m infinitely preferable to the alternative. Oh, totally. Of, I'm a UK you know, resident and uh, um, I, you know, I, I have to pay, but I'm allowed to use the NHS. And, uh, the, you know, a number of occasions they've saved me you know, thousands probably well just just the, it's more the saved you know this situation you know you ring you can ring the nurse online and say this is what's happened to me and they say okay where are you you know i'm in basingstoke they say okay um i I made an appointment for you at such and such a hospital at two o'clock and you know you go there and it's someone immediately looks after you there's no bill you just walk out um and, and, and you know that's that's the sort of i think we're all blessed to have a service like that Amen. Mm. As we approach the end of the chat, it's a expansive and incredibly complex country in history, Australians. Uh, but I've come to love this country so much during my time here on the 
my first trip was six years ago and I loved it then. This time I've gotten a bit deeper. I've gone to like Adelaide, Canberra, Cooma, Sydney, all up and down Queensland, Melbourne, just trying to learn and immerse myself more in the culture and the history. And as somebody who's so culturally ubiquitous with Australia and Australian culture, are you somebody who likes to celebrate this nation and its history and are you acutely aware and is it important to you to shine a light on certain things and i just love to get a little bit of an insight into your relationship with this country your love for this country mm. and and what perhaps people should know about australia if they've never been because it's such a beautiful and complex and fascinating place yeah it, it certainly is i mean it's, it's four thousand kilometers wide and four thousand kilometers tall so there's something for everybody to see Climatically, it's incredibly diverse, etc. But also, personality-wise, it's very diverse. And I would encourage anyone who comes to Australia to try to get out and spend a bit of time in the in the regional areas. Um, in fact, you know, uh, it, it's worth mentioning that for a long time, UK backpackers, if they want to extend their visa, had to go and work in the regions for eighty-eight days, doing the agricultural doing work. Doing the agricultural yeah. work, and the the regions rely on that enormously, but. As of 1st of July 2024, that's no longer a requirement. So there's a bit of a panic going on in regional Australia as, as to where they're going to get workers from. Uh, and I heard an interview with a wonderful uh, young lass from, from England who said that she deliberately went to the regions because she wanted to experience it and is loving it. So if anyone is, is actually listening is sort of thinking, oh, I'd love to go to Australia and work, don't rule out the possibility of working in the regions rather than the big cities because it's... Um, uh, the bush is a beautiful place to go, and of course the big country music tradition is in the bush, uh, and and as the songs about it are about the bush and being in the bush, so it's uh, it's a beautiful part of Australia. I mean the cities are very very multicultural. They're very the food is incredible here. I'd say Melbourne is the food capital of the world, it's, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. The, everything is here. It's affordable. It's brilliant. Yeah. You can eat late during the week. Yep. And, and you know, like they say about cities like New York and London, the cities that never sleep. But it's hard to get a sit down good meal in yeah. London or New York after ten o'clock. You can go out in Melbourne on a Tuesday night at one a.m. and have a nice sit down, yeah. delicious meal in Chinatown. And that's right. It's some good, of the best food you'll ever have. A good call. Um, you know, culturally, of course, the, the, the country is as diverse as any other country in the world. You, if you go and see a musical here or a stage show here, you could, you'll, be, you'll be seeing the sh a show of exactly the same standard as if it was in Broadway or, or West End. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, I mean, obviously we have a very strong affinity with the UK, a very strong connection with the UK. And so, you know, the wonderful thing for people from the UK who come here is they, it is a little bit like coming home for them uh, to possibly a better climate. Can I, I say I was going to say, it's like it, there's the familiarity of home with much better weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love going back to the UK. You see, I go, uh, well, I'm, lately I've been going at least twice a year. I'm going back in July this year to tour music again. And... You know, but recently I was in Inverness and um, I'd never been up there before. Oh, my God. Great place. Beautiful. And, you know, out there at Loch Lomond and looking around and, and Aberdeen. I did pantomime in Aberdeen and loved that, the Granite City. So, you know, yes, the climate can be a bit tough in the UK, but, you know, it's very easy to get past that when you, when you look at, you're in Edinburgh, for heaven's sake. Look at Edinburgh. I mean, spectacularly beautiful city. We don't have the same history. This is the thing. But, uh, yeah, we certainly do have 
everything for the anyone who loves the outdoors, Australia's got it. Um, you know, we have every environment you could possibly enjoy. Um, and no, you know what? Snakes are not going to bite you. I was going to say, I've been here in total in my life. I've spent four months in Australia. Never seen a spider. Mm. Never seen a snake. No. Well, they run away from I'm you. sure they're out there, but it's crazy to me when people go, oh, I'd love to go to Australia, but I'm a bit afraid of the wildlife. It's like magpies are about the worst thing I've seen. <laughs> Although, it, we, I picked, um, I picked my, my wife and daughter up from the airport the other day, and as we're leaving, they looked out the window and said, oh, look, kangaroos. And I thought, we were joking that they actually keep them in a shed, and whenever a flight comes in, they release them so that the tourists can see the kangaroos. Because people always say, are there kangaroos jumping down the main street in, in Melbourne? I saw one from uh, getting a coach from the airport into Melbourne city centre yep. coming off the plane. In yep. that exact moment, I did, on the freeway in a field. Yes, yes. It's not there, is there, there you go. You yeah. see the kangaroo. Uh, but yeah, but it's... Look, there's... Um, I, I love this country to pieces. Um... There's a lot of things Australia can improve. You know, unfortunately, just recently we had a, a referendum to change the constitution to to acknowledge the Indigenous Australians in the constitution that failed, and it's it's an unfortunate thing about politics, isn't it? That um, self-serving individuals can actually manipulate things to, to suit themselves. Um, you know, I don't want to get controversial, but I think for a lot of people, they're perhaps looking at what happened with Brexit going. How genuine were some of the people who were arguing for, for Brexit? Uh, just exactly what was their agenda? Um, it was a very narrow margin, I know, on the vote. It's it's the UK's business. It's not mine. Um, you know, whatever. Um, well, it seems like they're trying to desperately to reverse it as well now. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, I think I know that if you're a truck driver trying to ship goods, or a travelling musician, it's a nightmare. It, it is interesting too, you know, and it's a little sad too to think that um, you know uh, when you know when I fly into if I fly if I'm going from the UK into Europe, I suddenly have to go through all these customs hurdles, and I'm sort of thinking, I used to be able to just you know, jump on the Eurostar and go to Paris. But no, no, I've got to go through French customs and mm -hmm. British customs. And um, yeah, it, I mean, that's just a trivial thing. I do feel for people who are trying to move goods around and you see the queues of trucks in France and um, it's really tough. And, 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 uh, and the whole Irish situation about what happens with Brexit, it's, it's opened up a can of worms. Hopefully, hopefully somewhere along the way they'll find a balance that works for everyone. Yeah, I think, you know, both... Australia and the UK have their, their difficulties and there's areas which we could be progressing more in. Uh, but what I have really found, and I sincerely mean this, about Australia that you guys have so much more to kind of sing about and celebrate here is a real sense of national pride that's positive. Mm. I feel like without alienating any UK listeners back home that national pride back home has taken on a slightly ugly manifestation being here these last few months, people are so proud of this country mm. and it's such a positive pride that manifests in such positive ways. Everybody wants to show you the best version of their country. They want to really showcase and celebrate what this country has to offer. Mm. And I've not met anybody that doesn't love being Australian and love Australia. Mm. And it's, there's a real sense of community in all of the, the neighborhoods and the cities and between well, it, businesses, it, even in, in cities on busy streets where there's competing bars. Cause I've dealt with a lot of bars from DJing these last couple of months. All the bars in these local neighborhoods have each other's backs and mm. look out for each other. And it's like, they're all trying to elevate 
each other there's no competition like it's all healthy and yeah supportive and that's really unique and really special um, i'm sure that you know there's so many positive things you've experienced so many positive things about the country and there, there are the, the the infinite number of them i did mention the voice referendum which failed um, i think that for australia uh, and for australia's identity and for australia's pride i think it was one of the biggest things we that needs to be resolved um hopefully through treaty because Australia is one of the few countries in the world that doesn't have a treaty with its First Nations people. These are the things that are really underlying the Australian psyche that need to be sorted out. Uh, we're a young country, but it, the time has definitely arrived, in my opinion, that for us to resolve these issues and to you know, enshrine First Nations people in, in the right place in, in the Australian framework. Um, so hopefully that can be achieved uh, and reasonably soon. Um, yeah, that culture needs protecting, doesn't it? And that community needs healing. It, indeed, indeed. And, uh, you know, and also Australians need to understand the history of uh, First Nations people and how we as invaders of this this island, how, you know, when we arrived here, the terrible atrocities that were waged upon Indigenous Australians, and um, you know, they they are now uh, sort of coming to light much more. But they they should be taught. Yeah, uh, people should be aware of them and say, okay, this is something that the nation needs to atone for uh, and and heal. So yes, fingers crossed, this will all happen. Well, on that note as well, it should be taught. In UK schools, the amount of atrocities that our ancestors committed all over the world, whether or not that will happen, mm. we'll see. But, you know, that's really where all of it comes from. And I think the only way we can all collectively improve is through education and awareness, isn't it? Yeah. Even with the difficult truths sometimes we have to face. Truly, yeah. You're a legend and a gentleman, Alan. No, it's been it. an absolute pleasure spending time with you today. And uh, we should do one of these live when you're in the UK. Oh, I'd love it. If you've got a break in the touring schedule... Get a few people down, live interview, a couple of songs. It'd be brilliant. I would love It'd be to a do great that. Time. I would love to do that. I'd, we can easily talk about that. Love it. And uh, July is when you're coming over. Yeah. So at the moment, we, we bounce the ball in, in London at the Bedford, which has become a bit of a traditional venue for me in, in Ballam there. It's a fantastic, fantastic room. And um, then from the 11th, I'll be touring right through until the 4th of August uh, in many, many places, some festivals, um, of course, I'll be back in Glasgow, where I always go, to Oran Moor. Glasgow uh, is a great night it's out. It's a great night it? out. I'm, I'm just firming up, hopefully, a Dublin gig. So we're, we're And I, I believe I'm heading for Penzance. Now, yes. the last time I toured, I went to Truro. Deep southwest, yeah. Which was, and when we, when we got to Truro, everyone came out to see the show, and they said, just thank you for coming. Thank you. No one comes down here. <laughs> and so I'm just interested to see how we go in Penzance. You've got to get down to Land's End, haven't you? Yeah, yeah that's it. I know. It's Pirate just, town. Exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's going to be awesome. We're, we're going to be everywhere all over the UK. So hopefully people will come out and say hi. Well, I'll include some dates on the episode description. And in terms of releases, you just put out an album I saw last year. Mm. Um, what's next on the cards for, for physical and well, d- digital uh, releases? We'll do, a, we'll do a vinyl of the, the Point album which will be available, you know, when I get to the UK. Um, there's at least the Love of Lager as a single release. I'm doing another release, uh, which is very specific here in Australia, about Australian rules football. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. might not have an enormous impact in uh, in the UK. Uh, and I'm uh, just currently in writing phase for the next album, which so hopefully by the time I hit the UK, I'll have two, two or three more singles to bring over with me. 
Love it. And finally, is there any neighbours, teasers, or gossip you can leave us with? Well, the only thing I can say uh, of any substance is that if you thought 2023 was exciting and wonderful, the return of neighbours, what we've got in store for you in 2024 is even better. The the storyliners have I don't know I don't not sure how, quite how this has happened, but there's a, I have a real sense now that the cast we have in Neighbours is one of the best we've ever had. The blend of cast, the blend of characters, and the stories that they bring, the new stories they bring are so exciting. Uh, so. You know, I'm I'm actually now avidly watching the show, whereas for a long time I never used to watch it because I had a sort of, you know, I felt like I knew what was going on. But now I watch it because I need to see everybody's work because I'm really excited by it. So hopefully if you're not watching, get on board. Well, there's no greater testament to the quality than the star of the show (laughs) having to tune in. Uh, Cheers, me. Here's cheers. An absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you. Really enjoyed that. Thank Thank you. you. Sorry, and take back those things you said. Cause you know that she just worries. You know that you've not been the best son. She would have wanted riches for you, married to a local girl. But you've never been that way before. You learned to walk, you learned to. 